I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. Our sermon text this morning is in that chapter, Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. Our summer sermon series has been called, What Would Jesus Say to the Church? And we're looking at the messages of Jesus to seven particular churches that were in Asia Minor in the first century. Uh, But it's not just to those churches that Jesus is talking, it's to all the churches in all time, in all places. And so every week we've highlighted one of the priorities that Jesus Christ has for his church, for his body. And today we're going to focus on this message to the church at Philadelphia. Not the one in Pennsylvania, but the one that was 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor and the one to which Jesus says, I want you to be a witnessing church. I want you to share your faith in me with those around you. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's hear God's word starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. A witness uh, is somebody who is called upon to give testimony. Everybody agree with that? A witness is called upon to give testimony. For example, if you're called to be a witness in the courtroom, usually you're called upon to give testimony to what your own eyes have seen or your own ears have heard. We call that eyewitness testimony. And uh, before you ever get up on the stand to give witness, what do you have to do? It's actually the right hand. Put your right hand on the Bible or some other holy book or left hand and raise your right hand, right? It's your left hand on the Bible. Raise your right hand. You have to give an oath, a kind of oath of allegiance that when you get up on the stand, you will only say what you actually saw or what you actually heard and no more and no less. Sometimes witnesses are not like that. Sometimes witnesses are sent by someone else to bear witness to what they tell them to bear witness to. An example of that would be for be an ambassador of a nation. Um, and, and the United States has a lot of ambassadors. They're sent out by the United States to various countries in the world, and they represent the United States of America. And in particular, they represent the president then sitting as if the president was actually there communicating what he or she wants to communicate from the nation to the other nation. 
And so before they take office, they have to take an oath of allegiance, which says, I will uphold the Constitution. I will only do what the United States of America sends me to do. This message that Jesus gives to the church at Philadelphia is all about how every Christian and every Christian church is sent like an ambassador to be a witness of Jesus Christ. The door that it says Jesus opens, you see that a few times, he opens a door. Nearly every time that's used in the New Testament, the open door that Jesus gives, that always refers to an opportunity that Jesus provides for us to bear witness to his name and to his gospel. And here he says to Philadelphia, I've opened a big old door in front of you. I've given you a chance within your city to stand for me. I've given you a chance to show people and tell people who I am. But here's the thing. You got to make sure you remember your oath of allegiance. Who you are allied to, who you represent. Maybe you didn't think about this before, but when you become a Christian, you take an oath of allegiance. Do you know that? That's what you do. That's what it means in, in part to become a Christian. Is you say, I am Christ's. Christ is mine. Everything I do, everything I think, everything I say, I want it to be driven by my Lord and Savior who, who owns me. And therefore, I'm an ambassador of him. Not of myself, not of anybody or anything else, but I'm an ambassador of Jesus. If you'll look at your bulletin today, I want to talk you through this witness that we're called to bear in the world. And I think if we'll look at it, Jesus answers three questions. First of all, in verses 7 to 8, he answers, what is the church's call to witness? What is the church's call? And then secondly, in verses 9 and 10, he answers, who opposes the church in its witness? And then lastly, in verses 11 to 13, he answers how he encourages us to continue witnessing in spite of the opposition. All right, so let's think about it, all right? First of all, what is uh, the church's calling to bear witness? Well, in verses 7 and 8, he makes it abundantly clear. And he starts, as always, in every one of these messages to all the churches, he starts by describing himself. And, and this is important when it comes to being a witness, because remember, a witness is someone who is called to represent the one who sent them, when, when you're an ambassador kind of witness, and Jesus then wants to remind the church of Philadelphia who it is that sent them in the first place. Who it is that opened this door, which gives them the opportunity to share their faith with the people around them. And so he says, the words of the one, look at that in verse 7, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. That's who Jesus is. He wants them to know that. I'm the holy one. I'm the true one. Jesus there is claiming to be God, to be God in human form. I'm holy like God is holy. I'm true like God is true. In fact, I am truth itself. One time Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's Jesus. He's God. And yet Jesus also wants to remind them, I'm, I'm also a human being who through my death and resurrection has become a king. And that's what it means by I have the key of David. In fact, Isaiah the prophet looked ahead to a time when the Messiah would receive the key of David again. 
and would reign not just over Israel, but over all the world using that key. You see, a key is a symbol of authority, of access, of power, of reign. And Jesus says, I've got the key of David in my hand, and I'm using it so perfectly that I'm able to shut and nobody can open. And I'm able to open and nobody can shut. And then when you get to verse 8, he says, I know your works. It's me, this holy and true one, who has opened this door for you. The fact that you're bearing witness in Philadelphia, that's my doing. The fact that you have chances to share your faith with your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers, that's my doing. I was raised from the dead. I reign over all things. I have the key of David, and I've opened that door. In fact, when you became a Christian, I'm the one that opened the door to the kingdom of heaven to you. I opened that door, too. As one writer says, the, the opening of the door not only stands for the opportunity to share the gospel, but it also stands for the ability to receive the gospel when it's shared. And so the whole witnessing enterprise, the whole uh, act of sharing the gospel that the church is called to do in the world is in every way supplied by Jesus. He is the, the substance of the message. He's the one who gives us chances to share the message. And he's the one who opens the hearts of people to hear it and receive it. That's Jesus. And that's who we are as a church, ambassadors for this Christ going into the world. Now, why does he want to remind Philadelphia of this reality? Well, notice what he says uh, again there in, in, the, in the second verse of our passage, verse 8. He says, I've opened for you an open, I've set before you an open door, but I know that you have but little power. You have but little power. And yet you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. That's the key. The Philadelphian Christians were sharing the gospel in weakness. And oftentimes, y'all, the church is called to represent Jesus in that same way, in a position of weakness, not of strength. In hostile territory. In a world and in a place that hates the God whom we are ambassadors for, who hates what Christ stands for, which is that everybody is a sinner justly deserving of God's wrath. And that the only way you can be saved is by the mercy of God alone. That's not a message people like. And so the church, with little power that we have, weak people that we are, are still called to go out and be faithful to our witness. And the reason why we're able to be faithful to our witness is we know that the one who sent us is powerful. He has the key of David. He opens the doors. He shuts the doors according to his will. Don't you see? Every day... We ought to be looking for open doors that Jesus has placed before us to share our faith. Don't you see that as a church, Greater Hope, we can't get distracted from what our mission really is here in Mulberry? It's to take the good news of Jesus Christ to as many people as we can, as often as we can. And one of the only ways to do that is to be prayerfully looking around us for the open doors that Jesus has placed. And to faithfully walk through those open doors even when we have very little power to do it. A lot of people, and I, I put, I'm, I'm in this category too, we, sometimes I don't take opportunities to share the gospel because I'm afraid of failure. How about you? 
I'm afraid of, well, they're going to reject Jesus or they're going to reject me and they're going to think bad about Jesus because I'm not a very good representative and so I'm not going to do it. And yet notice what Jesus is saying. I want you to share the gospel in spite of the fact that you have little power. You see, sometimes I don't share my faith because I think, well, I can't because I have little power. I've got little skill. I've got little to offer to that person or to Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And yet Jesus says, perfect. You've got little power, perfect. You're the exact kind of representative that I like to pick. And that I like to send out into the world. Because who better, guys, who better to represent a gospel of grace than a weak people? Isn't that right? But in order to remember that, we've got to remember the oath of allegiance that we took. And to whom we took it. Because when we feel the weakness of our power most strongly in our lives, we have a tendency to forget those things. I mean, think about ambassadors for a minute. Um, one of our United States ambassadors' names is John Sullivan. He's the ambassador to Russia. He was put, he's got a hard job right now. <laughs> he was put in place by President Trump a few, couple of years ago, two, three years ago. And Biden, uh, when he came into office, didn't replace him. And he, he kind of commissioned him again to be, continue as the ambassador to Russia. I thought this week, can you imagine a few years ago when he took the oath of allegiance to be the ambassador to Russia? He knew there were difficulties. It was never an easy job to be the ambassador to Russia. But what was it like earlier this year for him when Russia invaded neighbor Ukraine and he's the ambassador to Russia then? I mean, can you imagine the weakness that he felt? Can you imagine how scared his staff perhaps has felt in their work? How often they've had to remember their oath of allegiance and who they represent and why and what the priorities are? You see, ambassadors go rogue sometimes because it's all too easy to tell the people you're living around what they want to hear rather than what you're sent to tell them. Isn't that right? It's all too easy to do that. Unless, unless you remember that the one you're sent from is greater than the one you're sent to. And for us as Christians, that is true every single time. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Your king, the key of David, is greater than any of the keys of any of the kingdoms of this world. Greater Hope Church, the doors are open in front of us. You as an individual, who in your life is asking you deep questions right now? Who in your life is struggling to find answers to those questions? Who in your life feels hopeless and aimless in their life and they're confiding in you? Notice Jesus is opening a door. And, and, and your qualification to walk through that door and represent Jesus to live for him and to speak for him is not based on your, your strength. It's based on his strength. I want to encourage you this morning, walk through the door and trust the results to him. As we kick off VBS this week, open door to share the gospel to our kids yet again, to share the gospel to kids who don't normally attend here. What an open door.
We don't know what the results of that will be. Jesus does. He opens the door. He closes the door as he wills. Praise be the name of the Lord. Let us walk through the door and represent our king as we do. In fact, if you'll notice again, this is the last thing there in verse 8 that I want you to see. Uh, They did two very critical things. They simply did what Jesus told them to do and didn't deny his name. That's simple, right? I mean, again, this is... The work of witnessing is not just for the pastor. It's not just for those who teach publicly or preach publicly, the the evangelist who has a gift to do that publicly. It's for every Christian. If you're able today to obey Jesus, if you're able today to simply not deny his name when asked about him, you can be a witness. Walk through the door and trust in Jesus. All right, secondly, Jesus answers the question about opposition. The church is in hostile territory. Uh, It turns out when we took our oath of allegiance, we didn't know what we were in for. Uh, Like John Sullivan, we were sworn in perhaps during a time of peace. But now that we're a little way down the road with Jesus, we realize, wait a minute. These people around me, they're at war with my God. Even as I used to be at war with my God. Whoa, what am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus wants us to have clarity as to who is opposing us and why. Look there in verses 9 and 10. He says, Those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them to come and bow before you and recognize that I have loved you. First thing he says is there are men, there are human beings who oppose the church's witness. Human beings. Those of the synagogue of Satan. That's referring to people. Specifically, and this is not the only people who oppose the church's witness, but it's the one Jesus wants them to know about. Specifically, religious hypocrites oppose the true witness of the church. Here's what it looked like in Philadelphia, apparently, based on this. We don't know much about it except what it says here, but we can kind of make some guesses, some educated guesses. Most of the church at Philadelphia was probably Gentile in background. They had come to faith in Jesus from paganism. But originally they met together with the Jews in the synagogue to worship God until the Jews that were there uh, that didn't believe in Jesus got hostile and kicked them out of the synagogue where they had to go meet in homes. And apparently those Jews who kicked them out continued to come around them and to persecute them for bearing witness. They they tried to stop them from sharing the good news of Jesus. Jesus has some harsh words for those people. They say they're Jews, he says, but they're not. In other words, they say they're believers in my name, but they're fake believers. They're fake. They lie, he says. Is there any lying that goes on in church? I hope you don't read this and think, oh man, yeah, this is a Jewish problem. Nope. It's a human problem. It's not just synagogues that can become synagogues of Satan. It's churches that can become churches of Satan. How does that happen? say, that's crazy. How does that happen? By faking it instead of really being a truster 
in Jesus Christ for salvation, really being someone who's in love with Jesus, the Lord and Savior, and just simply going through the motions. And when you look at the Bible, hypocrisy, which is throughout the Bible condemned, right? Uh, Jesus refers to it as being a wolf in sheep's clothing, which is a very, think about it, kids. That's an interesting picture. A wolf dressed up like a sheep. Kids, why would a wolf want to dress up like a sheep? To trick the sheep. That's obvious, right? Why would they want to trick the sheep? To eat the sheep. To kill them, to destroy them. And here's something the Bible says about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy cannot abide sincerity. Hypocrisy cannot stand sincerity. Hypocrisy is a religion that costs you nothing. It's grace that comes cheap. Without discipleship, without following, without repentance. It's faith that asks and demands nothing of your life. And so when a hypocrite sees a true Christian, they think that's a threat to my cushy faith. Because there they are making me look bad. There's somebody whose faith is costing them something. And here I am just coasting to heaven, right? And so all throughout history, one of the number one enemies of the true witness of the church are those within the church who say they're Christians and are not. Or those who said they were Jews, but they weren't. Let's bring it to an individual level. The number one enemy in your life and mine of a faithful witness to Jesus is our own hypocrisy. Let's bring it to that, okay? Uh, let's don't, let's, please, let's don't just point fingers and say, oh, yeah, hypocrites. Get them, Stan. <laughs> Smack them. Uh, the church is full of them, and I hate the hypocrites in the church. Give it to them. No, let's look at ourselves. Because each one of us is 100% capable of hypocrisy, of acting, of pretending. Again, what is hypocrisy except faith without cost? And who doesn't want that kind of deep down inside? Don't we want to have heaven but not have the cost of following Jesus? Don't we live in an instant society? A drive-through society? A drive-up society now? A mobile order society? A, you know, haven't we tried to make everything easier? Don't you think it's a temptation for us to try to make faith in Jesus easier than it's really designed to be? Well, if we're doing that at any level in our lives, that is the number one enemy to our faithful witness to the world. Jesus said, if you're a light, but you're hid under the bed, you're doing good to nobody. Jesus said, if you're salt, but you've lost your saltiness, throw it out and let the pigs trample on it. That's what he's talking about. And so greater hope this morning, what Jesus is exhorting us to is to reality. He's calling us to reality, to sincerity, especially as we come to the Lord's table today. I think about the, the communion table as being a, it, it's, a, it's a lot of things, but among other things, it is a gut check. Uh, it's a spiritual reality check where when I see what my Savior did for me yet again, it helps me to check, 
Am I trusting that alone or am I trusting my own good works and good intentions? Am I really seeking to follow him even if it's costly or am I holding back a lot of stuff for myself? Am I in any way a hypocrite? How can I bring my hypocrisy before Jesus and find it healed this morning so that I might have yet more sincerity, so that my saltiness might remain and not completely vanish away? In fact, Jesus says in that very verse, in verse 10, he says there's hope for hypocrites. There's hope for hypocrites. When he says, um, well, it's actually in verse uh, 9, when he says, I will make them come and bow at your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. That's not a negative message. That's a positive message. And the reason I say that is it's a quote from Isaiah. It's a direct quote from the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, what it means is this. Those who oppose God will one day come to worship God. Those who pretend will one day become real. Jesus is actually saying that these Jews who opposed the Christians, by the Christians' witness, some of them will be converted and actually become real Jews who are believers in Christ. They'll become real Christians. And they'll worship side by side with you. They'll recognize that Christ has shown his love for his church by giving his life for it. And so here's the good news this morning. Are you a hypocrite? Jesus is the savior of hypocrites too. When Jesus says he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven and can unlock the gate to everlasting life, he can unlock it for you too. Notice how he does it though. I will make them come and bow down. (laughs) I will make them come and bow down. Isn't that what Jesus did for you, Christian? Isn't it? Isn't that how he draws all his people to himself? This morning, the invitation is to take off the mask, whatever masks we're wearing, and we all wear masks at different times. Take them off and let Jesus put us on our faces sincerely before the living God. Now, thirdly, I want you to see the encouragement that Jesus gives. How does he encourage us to continue witnessing? Well, he does so by telling us that he is with us every step of the way and that he is going to supply what people take away. All right, so witnessing for Jesus is costly in this world. It's going to cost you something. I just want to tell you that this morning. If you haven't heard me so far, if you've zoned out, come back to me. It will cost you something if you live for Jesus. It will cost you something if you represent Jesus. I don't know what it will be for you, but it will cost you something. Here's what Jesus says. I will supply whatever has been taken away from you and more. He doesn't just give empty promises here, okay? Do you remember uh, several years back? It's been a long time now. Those Geico commercials where someone would come to another person and tell them about a problem they had, and they would say, well, I can't help you with that, but I just saved a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to Geico. Remember those? Where it was like they had a problem and instead of solving it, they said, good news, I saved a bunch of money on my car insurance. They gave them a completely irrelevant encouragement to the need they actually had. And that's what made it funny, right? That's what made it funny. Jesus does not do that. And yet sometimes, if we're honest, we feel like he does. We think, oh, you know, and maybe some of you uh, young people can relate to this. Jesus offers me heaven. Great, but what about a girlfriend? 
I need a girlfriend. I need a boyfriend, right? Or, or, you know, Jesus offers me the kingdom of heaven. Great, I need a job. It, we feel sometimes like Jesus is saying, don't worry, I saved a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching to Geico. But the only reason we think that is because we don't understand the depths of what it is he actually is offering us. And how, whether you don't have a job or whether you have one, if you receive what Jesus gives you, you've got more than even the person who has the greatest job in the world. You can be poor in this world, and if you're rich in Christ, you're richer than the richest man on earth. It's only when you become convinced of that that you're going to take your mask off, by the way, and start witnessing for Jesus, truly. Uh, you, you, I mean, guilt is not a good motivator for witnessing. I've tried that one a lot in my life. You know, I feel guilty for not sharing my faith. Oh, I'm going to go share my faith. Whipping myself, sharing my faith. That is not a great motivation. Here's the motivation. I'm leaving behind dung to get treasure. Notice the treasure that Jesus tells them that he will give them. Verse 11. Or, excuse me, yeah, 12, I'm sorry. Verse 12. To the one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, my own new name. I'll write three names on them and I'll make them a pillar in the house of God. You say, well, okay, that sounds like an empty, what, what does that even mean? Well, think about what it means. What's a pillar in a building? Support. If the pillar is taken out of the building, what happens to the building? It falls. There is no building without the pillar. In other words, if the building's still standing, the pillar's still in there. And Jesus is saying to these poor Christians, and they were mistreated. They were kicked out of the synagogue at first, and then they were kicked out of various other areas of society. And Jesus says, all right, wit keep witnessing for me. You're going to get kicked out of more stuff, but I'll tell you this, you'll never get kicked out of the temple of God. You'll always be there. In fact, it will be, it will be more likely that God will destroy his own house than that you will be taken out of his house. As long as the house is standing, you'll be in it. Isn't that good? I'll give you stability within my house. You'll never leave my presence. And that's the promise to every Christian. We will be face to face with God and we'll never have to leave. And then he says, I'm going to write my name on you. The name of my God, my own name, Jesus says, and the name of the city. In other words, you will be so marked by me and you will belong to me so completely that it can never be erased out of your life. You can never be taken out of my care. You'll not only be in my presence, but you'll be my very own person. You'll belong to the city of God, to the great church above where the saints are perfected and never will be cast out. You'll be mine and I will be yours. That's what the name means. And so, yes, your name on earth, whenever you share your faith, your name might come under ill disrepute. People might talk bad about you. They might make fun of you. They might 
spread rumors about you. They may call you names. They may, all kinds of things. Some of our brothers and sisters in the world lose their houses. They lose their possessions. They get put in jail. Their name becomes the name that everybody hisses at. And yet Jesus says, don't worry, keep doing it. My name will be written on you. Your city may disown you. My, the name of my city, which comes out from my God out of heaven, will be written on you. Isn't that good? Caesar might not accept you as a citizen of his empire, but you'll have the name of King Jesus. And that can't be erased. Wow. As one writer puts it, he says, Jesus' tender promise here is to those who are painfully aware of weakness and insecurity that they shall finally belong. Those who are painfully aware of their weakness and insecurity as they witness for Jesus and follow him in their lives, that they shall finally and forever belong. Jesus has set before us open door after open door after open door. Yes, there's opposition. Yes, our own hypocrisy is the chief opposition. But oh, what Jesus promises. If we'll simply show up and do what he says and not deny his name in the world. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who has given this word, we pray, God, that you would raise each of us up as faithful witnesses to your holy name. Please, O oh Lord, keep us in your love. Write your name upon us and set each of us up as true pillars in the temple of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond now to God's word by uh, giving our offering. Uh, and today, since it's Communion Sunday, we're going to begin a practice that we used to do before uh, COVID, and then we're going to go back to it. We're trying to get all of our practices back. And today, we're going to highlight something related to the Mercy Fund. So every week when you give offering and you mark your gift as mercy, it goes to the Deacon's Mercy Fund. Uh, and one of our deacons is about to come forward to uh, share that uh, briefly with us and to pray over our offering. Uh, but today, uh, since it's communion, uh, we're going to highlight one particular thing that we're using our Mercy Fund for. And John's going to come and tell you about that. This is also a time uh, to give your tithes and offerings as well when the plate comes by. So John, would you come forward? He's one of our deacons. He's going to tell you about the Mercy Fund. Thank you, John. I want to, to read a little bit of scripture first before I start speaking. So I'm going to read from Romans 12:13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And I'd like to read Galatians 6, 2 also. Carry each other's burdens, and in the way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So my name is John Allen. If you don't know me, um, recently became... A deacon and uh, very happy to be in that role. Um, going forward on communion Sundays, we uh, one of the deacons will briefly talk to our congregation regarding mercy and our mercy fund. So our role um, 
is to care for the people and property of Greater Hope and then our community in Mulberry. So we take this um, very seriously. Um, at some point, everybody needs a helping hand, whether it's spiritual or financial or service-related even. Somebody may need help with something at their house. You just We're there to meet every need. So as deacons, we are charged with meeting all the needs of our congregation. And you need to know that you can reach out to any one of us in confidence. That's between us. We don't gossip about it. If we have to discuss something that's a charge, we have to agree on that. Um, and then the session has to agree with it also. But that's just discussed between us. It's not discussed outside of that. So, um, It's designed to meet temporary needs. So it's, it's not like we would pay a bill for someone every month. We help people when they're in crisis, basically. And, and, and we sit down and go over what is or isn't warranted. So it's, it's vetted. Um, and that's also tracked um, through the session. We have to report on what we spent on. So um, that's important to mention. And we're also responsible for ma maintaining the church and its grounds. Um, mercy also in itself just includes volunteering within our community as a whole and we have an opportunity as said August 6th to help with the back to school bash I don't know if I know some of you guys have been a part of that but it's it's really neat just to see how excited the kids get the parents are very appreciative of what Greater Hope and other churches do it's just really neat to see those blessings be received so we, um, we ask for your support financially and in person if you're able. Um, and it really, you know, it just helps Greater Hope shine a light for Jesus and model him in serving others. So grateful for it. Um, please give generously this morning to help us. We're a little behind on our um, balance in our mercy fund, but... We ask you, I know it's hard right now the way the economy is and everybody has stuff, but just give, give as you see fit and what you can.